Moving on, without much thinking where he was going, Bayou came presently to the gate of a courtyard. Denser than feathers on the phoenix tail, the stirred leaves murmured with a pent dragon's moan. The multitudinous bamboos and the board above the gate confirmed that his feet had, without conscious direction, carried him to the Nyad's house. Of their own accord, they now carried him through the gateway and into the courtyard. The house seemed silent and deserted, its bamboo door blind hanging on rolls to the ground. But as he approached the window, he detected a faint sweetness in the air, traceable to a thin curl of incense smoke which drifted out through the green doors of the casement. He pressed his face to the doors, and before his eyes could distinguish anything, his ear became aware of a long, languorous sigh, and the sound of a voice speaking each day in a drowsy, waking dream of love. kind of an intervening event so Aroba arrives and she indicates that his father is searching for him right and so of course uh, Bao Yu kind of you can imagine him like standing up upright as if he were you know, struck by lightning and uh, yeah. and so he kind of rushes back to his dwellings without resolving the, you know, the problem with you only to find that he has been uh, tricked again um, and it's not his father instead it's uh, Shrepan yeah. his uh, who we yeah. We, yeah we've we've met him before but just <clears throat> as a reminder he he is I think we said before one of the most uh, unequivocally or like unambi- unambiguously bad characters um, he is uh Oafish, and he is um, lecherous, lecherous, uh, kind of preda- predatory. He's Predat- predatory, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and more, really, more than just that, isn't he? I mean, the first time we met him, he was um, the subject of a court case because um, <laughs> a young woman had uh, taken his fancy um, and um, had her because she was a servant. She'd had he, he'd had her master murdered, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and that servant girl, uh, Caltrop, is is now kind of part of the household, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then in a later chapter, we hear that he's been kind of preying on, uh, and indeed kind of grooming some of the like younger men of the household, uh, like some mm-hmm. of the some of the young boys, basically. So, um, yeah, really, a, a, like a thoroughly bad character. Um, and so he he's deceived Bao Yu here. Yeah. Um, Although apparently the reason is he wants to share some. Uh, his birthday is coming up, and he received some choice edibles 
from uh, in, in the text it's translated Siam but it would be I guess Thailand um, kind of maybe tribute items in last chapter there was mention of uh, the Siam or the the, mm. yeah, the Thai tea which uh, Shifeng and Bao Yu had not particularly taken to yeah they didn't think very much of it did they yeah not as good as their Chinese tea <laughs> um, uh yeah, and in and in this case, uh, because it's yeah, it's his birthday, and these are birthday gifts for him. He's got a couple of things from. I think it's from the um, the hangers on. We've mentioned these before. Like uh, Bayu's father um, has a a mm-hmm. number of. He has a kind of stable almost of literary gentlemen uh, who are um, yeah, they're kind of hangers on, and as a result, are kind of completely um, like obsequious brown nosers really um so it's them that has gathered together these these gifts for shuafan's birthday um and so there's a a piece of fresh lotus root um mm-hmm. a huge grape melon a freshly caught sturgeon and a cypress smoked siamese sucking pig suckling pig i would have thought that is but anyway a, a cypress smoked siamese suckling pig um so let's look at these in turn. Uh, a piece of fresh lotus root. Um, did you have this to eat before? It's the one that, like, if you like, you like cut it into slices. Like it's almost like it's like maybe the size and shape of like a large like sweet potato. I think, but you like cut it into slices, and it has this like really amazing um, pattern. You know, it's like like six or seven circular. Ho- it kind of looks like a Swiss cheese. You know. Oh, of course, yeah. It, it's common yeah. in like uh, in a lot of dishes, maybe, right? It's yeah. it's it's whitish with, with uh, yeah. It's so good. Yeah. I absolutely love it. So reading this, I was like, mm, damn, I could really go for some lotus root. <laughs> like stir fry would be good, I think. Stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, a melon. Presumably, this is like uh, uh, one of the melons from like um, the northwest of China, like uh, in like. Gansu and Xinjiang province, like they, um, they grow these like really super delicious ones, hami melons. I wonder if it's one of them, maybe. Mm. Um, sturgeon being, you know, the the caviar fish. Um, I don't know what they like to eat. Like I don't know what their flesh is like. Whether it's like tasty or not. Mm. Um, but presumably here it's yeah a bit of a delicacy. And then yeah, a smoked suckling pig. Um, hmm. Okay. Anyway, so so Xuepan has like he's been like somewhat like filial son and like given first dibs on all these things to uh you know his mum and his like other more senior members of the family. Um but there's still lots and lots remaining. And so he's invited Bayou and others over to have a feast. And uh <laughs> the conversation turns to you know the reason for the gifts as we mentioned is that it's soon going to be Xuepan's birthday, right? Yeah. Uh, and he asks Bayou what Bayou is intending to get him as a gift. Um, and he says, oh, I'm not sure, you know, one of the things I could maybe get you is a, a painting. Um, you know, I could I could paint you a picture. And um, this is just such a good indicator of, like, Xuepan's character, because he immediately goes, <laughs> oh, yeah, speaking of paintings, I saw some really great porn recently you know oh, yeah. um the, the the term here is like uh chun 
Gong, uh, sort of like literally Spring Palace. Um, I, I, I wasn't sure what like the exact etymology of that term is, like what, why Spring Palace is a euphemism for like pornography or erotica. Um, hmm. Um, but yeah, the, um, <laughs> you know, he says, I saw a set of dirty pictures in someone's house the other day. They were real beauties. There was a lot of writing on top that I didn't pay much attention to, but I did notice the signature. <laughs> I think it was Gung Huang, yeah. the man who painted them. And so this is like a, th this I have to say is like a real challenge for the translator. Um, because they are, um, what's going on here is he's misread one of the characters, uh, two of the characters, the, 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 the name of the artist, um, mm -hmm. because they resemble uh, two other similar looking characters. Um, and everyone kind of scratches their head because they go, I've mm -hmm. never heard of this Gong Hong. Who, who is that? Who is the artist? And he's <laughs> saying, you know, I'm, no, I'm sure of it. I'm, I'm, certain, I'm certain it was Gong Hong and not anything else. And so he kind of, um, he he writes the characters out for everyone to see, and Bao Yu works it out. He realizes that actually, the characters he's referring to are not um, Gong Huang, but instead uh, mm -hmm. Tang Yin. Right. So like a, a famous uh, Ming Dynasty uh, painter and poet. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's one of considered like one of the four great like painters of the of the Ming dynasty apparently which I, I think makes uh, the mistake all the less excusable uh it's not as if he, he like kind of uh it wasn't some obscurity that he yeah meant. I was trying it's to think of like what a kind of softball pitch for him yeah I was trying <laughs> to think of like what an appropriate like um comparison like would be like if you were like um yeah right yeah I'm not sure I heard of this great artist I think he must be like Irish or something he's called like uh, Olangelo Mick Mick Michelangelo, something like that, you know. <laughs> or, or, or just thinking that Michelangelo was a a mutant turtle, maybe. Right, right, yeah. Would yeah, be the yeah, equivalent, yeah. like yeah. just that's not a reference. That's simply the turtle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the equivalent. So yeah, we're, uh, I guess we're supposed to take from this that like this is despite being like a a very like son of a really like wealthy family. He remains like utterly like uneducated, uncultured, right? Mm -hmm. And a bit crass as well, because it's not as if Tangin was known exclusively for his erotic paintings, right? That's, you know, uh, and there's also a bit of a, I think a bit of like a Freudian slip, maybe, right? Because like, uh, like Gung Huang, like, like he's looking at these, you know, pornographic images and he's seeing the name as Huang. I think that was intentional, right? Like it, it's like, uh, and and Gung almost sounds like more. It's not the yeah. exact character, but it's homophonous, so it's like even more pornographic. Yeah, ye yellow Huang being exactly as you say, like a, a term for yeah. pornographic. There was also another thing which I I picked up on. So, uh, uh, says um, that you know he must be uh, a little Yanhua, so like uh literally like flowery eyed but really kind of like blurred vision you know like maybe you didn't see clearly mm -hmm. and uh i thought rather <laughs> unkindly that of uh the old you know f folk tale that masturbation leads to blindness um and i thought maybe yeah maybe he's just been indulging mm -hmm. too much and so his, his eyesight and you know even uh even hawks kind of uh seems to have the same interpretation because he later when 
when uh, Shrippan is trying to brush it off, he has a line where it's like, what, 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 what does it matter if it's uh, Tang-in or Guo-in? Uh, which is also kind of hard to translate. And so Hawks renders that uh, tanking or wanking. <laughs> wanking yeah. as in like, you know, like like masturbating, I think. Right. Which which kind of goes back to the like the yeah like the pornographic um, kind of slip of the tongue, slip of the mind, maybe. Oh right, right. Okay, so he the 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 thing that he says in in the original Chinese is yeah, uh, so like, and, and even then when he's saying it, he's he's using he's saying Tangyin, but he's using two different characters from the from the actual painter's name. The Tangyin he's referring to is literally like sh- sugar silver. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I agree. Like that that bit poses quite like a challenge for the um, for the translator, and I think Hawks actually does quite a good job of turning it into a masturbation joke because um, it sort of fits right. the the, the well, tone of the yeah. conversation mm-hmm. and and also shoyin is a you know a term for uh oh is it oh okay for masturbation right uh like 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 show as in hand and then in as in uh oh i see lewd or wanton right like uh like like wanton hand activity like literally something like that right uh and that's also very close to the tangin uh, so it's kind of this um, fortuitous sort of. So it's just uh, very like overlapping, uh, very clever and academic dick jokes, basically. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's basically all you have to know about. Um, yeah, about Shrippan's character. Uh, it's very consistent. So while they're giggling to themselves, uh, a new character uh, arrives, um, and this is uh, Feng Ziying, who's. Um, He's a young man, I guess, of a similar age to the rest of them. Uh, you know, late teens or maybe kind of around 20. Um, and he's the son of the general Feng Tang, of Feng, Feng Tang, um, mm-hmm. who is, yeah, uh, I guess someone of important military rank, right? Um, um, mm-hmm. And so what do we know about him? He's... Um, I think a kind of like similarly like crass, vulgar kind of guy to Xuapan, right? <laughs> like I feel like they're kind of drinking buddies. That was the kind of impression I got of him. Um, anyway, when he, when he stops in, he's sporting a, a black eye, basically. Um, and um, you know, of course they they um, they kind of make a joke of it and suggest that he's been you know he's got into a fight. But he says that actually you no, know, he he was on a hunting expedition. Uh, in the mountains, and um, he got flicked by a goshawk's wing, basically, like that a bird wing flicked his eye and gave him a gave him a black eye, which I found to be like a completely preposterous story. Uh, I don't know about you. Yeah, that kind of uh, took me by surprise, um, and I, I was kind of like trying to figure out how to read that. Uh, what's the? Uh, it does seem. I mean, is that a hunting bird? I wasn't sure about that. Like whether maybe he was like doing some kind of falconry and yeah, I I think so. Yeah, but I, yeah, I think I, that's or, it, right? Or, it's, or it's, falconry it's, adjacent, it's let's bird, say. Exactly. Um, I wasn't I wasn't sure. Um, but I I kind of read this and wondered if it was cover for something else. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I yeah I I think that's maybe I get the impression that nobody uh, in attendance takes that too seriously. Mm. No. 
anyway he says that he wants to tell them the story but he can only stay just for like a single drink and then he has to dash off because he has to go see his father but he promises that he'll tell them the full thing mm -hmm. uh when he has them around to his for a party um okay. uh, which will be you know in a week or two um okay yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that <laughs> he, he yeah he, so there's one thing about the way that Hawks has translated his character, which I think is intended to, or like has translated his manner of speech, which is I think intended to kind of convey something about his character, which is he speaks with, as I read it, something like a kind of mock Cockney accent, um, or so, so it's, you know, like he doesn't refer to father and mother so much as like father and mother, you know. So it's like. I feel like it's. I think he's he's a posh boy, definitely, but it's kind of like an affected, like, um, it's kind of put on accent. Okay. Um, and it kind. I don't know that if you read the way that he speaks in Chinese, there is like a yeah. There's a sense of it being okay. Um, his speech is not the kind of like more kind of delicate and refined speech of um, members of the household. Um, so maybe he's adopting a kind of coarseness in his language. Um, so I, I think that's basically the the gist of that scene. I, I guess we have only to talk briefly about. Um, so following all of this, uh, Bao Yu has a, a brief interaction with uh, Shiren uh, Aroma, who was you know worried you know as to his whereabouts and what was going on having also been deceived into thinking that uh, it was Bao Yu's father calling. Um, and then following that, there's also a, just a, a really brief, get a brief scene with Bao Chai, who asks similarly, you know, ha has Bao Yu thought about um, the birthday gift, hmm. right? And, and she so also... The, the younger sister kind of following up. Yeah, she, she mentions that, you know, because of obviously she's... Um, Chuapan's sister, she also was offered some of these, uh, you know, sumptuous food stuffs, but um, she, you know, she turned it down. She said, I'm, I'm not really the right sort of person for such superior delicacies. Mm. Um, yeah. And I think that's kind of a bit of a reflection of her, of her character. She's very much like about putting <clears throat> other people above herself, um, you know. And, you know, eschewing these like, um, delicacies or ornamentation she also didn't want the fake flowers oh true uh so she doesn't want these um these uh exotic or exquisite foodstuffs either yeah she uses this phrase uh ming xiao fu bo so xiao and bo are like respectively small and then kind of like weak or meager or thin and ming is kind of like kind of like fate i suppose here and for is kind of like fortune. So somehow she's saying like she's a a person of like very minor like significance, like minor importance somehow. So that's a nice little scene, right? It it only lasts for a moment before I, I guess the final. Uh, yeah. This chapter ends with um, kind of a a dramatic scene uh, involving Dayu's kind of exclusion from the party or perceived exclusion from the party yeah so so you know it's just to kind of set the scene um it's it's kind of late in the day because obviously Bao has been having dinner with Xuapan and the others and then he's returned from that and Bao Chai has come around to have tea and and kind of chat 
so it's already kind of late into the evening. We assume it's it's it's, it's night time. Um, and um, just as with Balchai and with uh, Aroma, Dayu has been having the same concern that you know, what was it that uh, Balu's father mm-hmm. was summoning him for? You know, like what 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 kind of new like thing has befallen him basically um and so she also wants to go around and and um go around to his house and and ask what's up mm-hmm. and we also get a a brief moment of her just sort of observing the garden kind of continuing with the theme of uh walking through the garden traveling to some destination she is waylaid by some beautiful fish that she observes for a bit uh right outside the uh drenched blossoms bridge um, and so by the time she reaches the, you know, Baoyu's residence, the house of green delights, um, the gate has been shut and she has to knock for admittance. Uh, and it turns out that there had been a, a series of kind of quarrels between Skybright and Emerald and, uh, they'd already complained to Bao Chai for arriving late. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so now to have another late arrival... It's you know, um, it's a step too far, a, a bridge too far. It's, what's yeah, the expression? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. They're they're resentful of being servants. They're resentful of having to you know be <clears throat> working all day or working at all times of day, and um, you know, um, from their point of view, it's simpler just to say you know come back tomorrow. You know, everyone's already gone to bed, rather than. Um, you know, admit somebody else and having to do, you know, wait on more people, wait on more guests. And, and Dayu suspects that that's what's happening. You know, she suspects this is just a, a kind of a white lie, basically, to, to make her go away so that the maids, don't, you know, can just go to bed, basically. Um, and so she calls out again, you know, she's saying, you know, it's me, it's Dayu. Um, and she, you know, Skybright, the maid, responds, you know, I don't care who you are. Master Bao's orders are that I'm not allowed to let anyone in. <clears throat> and so she kind of doubles down on the lie there, you know. Mm-hmm. It's uh, actually master's orders that no one's to be admitted. Ah, uh, it's <clears throat> just the old just following orders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and so what Dayu is really, um, it, as as she's wont to do, she kind of gives way to a kind of somber or um, kind of. Um, Miserable thoughts, I suppose. Yeah, you could uh, say this kind of um, it illustrates too well her general sentiment. So it has kind of a triggering effect, you could say, right? Where she always feels like she's outside the gate, that she's excluded, that she's an outsider, that you know she's only like a a perpetual guest in someone else's household, right? Um, yeah, she always she always feels aggrieved. She always feels she's very she's very easily you know. Very easily agreed. Mm-hmm. And so this, you know, all too well kind of captures that sensation. It kind of reinforces. It's like a mirror that reflects what she doesn't want to see. Um, and so you have a kind of an, another dramatic scene uh, where she sort of uh, starts spiraling into, um, uh, you know, sorrow and tears and um, kind of um, bitter poetic thoughts. Right, so we have a nice, a few uh, nice poetic renderings here. Um, oh. Yeah, just uh, one thing to mention, I think, just before we do, which which I think sets the uh, f- frames this this scene is 
so remember earlier today, earlier that day, she, she and Baoyu had been talking, and he made this quip about, uh, you know, the marriage bed to her, which upset her at the time. And at that point, she threatened to tell his parents, you know, I'm, you know, I'm telling mom, kind of thing. Um, um, and he begs her not to. Um, and now, uh, as she hunted in her mind for some possible reason for her exclusion. She remembered the events of the morning and concluded that Bayou must think she had told on him to his parents and was punishing her for her betrayal. Um, but and then she immediately thinks, you know, she would never betray him. And you know, why why didn't he just ask her, you know, mm-hmm. if this is why she's being excluded? And, and of course, you know, she's just she's overthinking it and she's allowing her kind of naturally, I suppose, anxious state of mind to get the better of her. You know, reading that passage, I, I was reminded of kind of things I've been reading lately of uh, it seems as if some people don't have this sort of internal monologue right I've been reading stories about how some people like they don't like you know effectively have the sort of voices that are like constantly talking to them and and reasoning situations out whereas you can you can very much tell here that uh, you know, almost immediately, she reproduces a kind of a, an imagined conversation between her and Bao Yu, uh, and, and how that might, it's kind of a, an imagined uh, fight or argument, uh, which I, I think is very reflective of maybe her personality. Uh, I, I just thought that was really interesting that it would be like, yeah, this, this kind of like inner mirror, this inner, inner dialogue. Um, and so, yeah, that's what precedes... Um, what Hawks has rendered, actually, in the original, it's also kind of a a, a few poetic lines. So maybe I'll, I'll read the first one. So in the Hawks, it reads, "Chill was the green moss pearled with dew, and chill was the wind in the avenue." Uh, it's a nice little, yeah. a little ditty. Uh, and again, maybe the the dew and her tears are are being, um, are being connected in various ways. The chill of being sort of the. Uh, of being left out, you know, from the festivities. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, so she's, she's, um, she's tucked away in this shadowy corner beneath a, mm-hmm. a fruit tree. Um, mm-hmm. um, and there's some indication that maybe nature itself is affected by her grieving. And, and so the, the, uh, the various, um, the birds and the trees, uh, kind of, um, distance themselves from her and as, as, as if unable to uh, endure the sorrow of her weeping. Uh, and so there's a, nice, there's a nice little poem here as well, which Hawks has rendered. Tears filled each flower in grief, their hearts perturbed, and silly birds were from their nests disturbed. Um, and then there's another poem. Do you want to do this one? Do you want to do the last one? Uh, sure, sure. <laughs> So it then says, the author of the preceding couplet has given us a quatrain in much the same vein. Few in this world, fair frowners looks surpassed. None matched her store of sweetness unexpressed. The first sob scarcely from her lips had passed when blossoms fell and birds flew off distressed. Um, and yeah, yeah, it's, uh, mm-hmm. you're right. It's this reflection of the, the natural world mirroring her own emotional state. Right, um, um, and we've seen the image of like the flower petals falling before, um, you know. So when when Bao right. first reads some of this kind of like um, 
romantic literature, including the Western Chamber. Uh, he's sitting on a on a bridge, right under a under a tree, and a gust blows, and suddenly there are, you know, petals everywhere scattered, you know, kind of on top of him, and and um, and so here this is it, kind of again, you know, the sudden showering of petals. It's kind of like a a reflection of that. And also, one of his poems has a very similar image, where uh, the the flower petals cover the snow. A cup cover the ground and it seems as if uh like a fresh snow has fallen i thought that was kind of yeah. a similar yeah. image uh yeah, what, what hawks has rendered store of sweetness in the original is uh yulfang so be something more literally like um almost like an otherworldly fragrance uh which, which i think is a, a hearkening back to some of the images we saw in chapter one and also chapter five. Yeah, yeah. I remember in, in the dream sequence in chapter five, there's uh, a lot of references to this Fang character, which is, yeah, it's like a, a kind of like fragrance, greenness, very like strongly associated with the natural world, but also like virtue and goodness somehow, I guess. Um, uh, yeah, it's good. It's, I, I do I do really like this this section. It's quite a quite like a moving scene, even though, you know, in in the Hawks, it probably cap, cap, it probably covers no more than a, a page of, of text. Mm -hmm. um, Maybe it's similar know. to the chapter uh, where, I guess, Dayu is burying the flowers. It has a similar kind of cadence, I thought. Um, it's kind of like building up toward a, um, maybe like a, a, a tragic climax. But I also think this is a really good chapter. If I were, if I were like picking out a chapter to um to present to uh kind of like dream newbies you know a, a chapter that uh encapsulates the general feel of the novel i think this would be a good a good choice i i said something similar about uh chapter seven um but this one also seems to have a kind of it, it seems very representative you see a lot of the main characters uh there's nothing too out of the ordinary about this chapter but it has, um, it's kind of representative, I thought. And maybe that's a good way to end uh, book one as well. Yeah, yeah. It's a, I think it's a very good, very good stopping point. Um, as she's sitting there weeping alone, uh, the door to Balyu's house actually opens with a loud creak and someone comes out. Um, but that is where the chapter ends and indeed where, where volume one of the Hawks finishes. Hmm. Okay, it's another uh, cliffhanger. Yeah, yeah, they love he loves cliffhangers, doesn't he? Um, I, uh, I'm just looking at it right now. My, um, my copy of the, I have volume one here and and volume two just next to it, and I mean volume two is pristine and volume one is, <laughs> you know how they have that kind of like book categorization, like um, when you're selling secondhand books, you know, it's like like new, very good, good. This one is like heavy use, I would say something, you know. Uh, okay. <laughs> it's extensively marked up in pencil. The cover is more or less falling off. Um, uh, <laughs> I think at some point I'll have to, if we get a bit further on, I can line up the various volumes and we can compare. Um, well, that's how, you know, w when you go into like a professor's uh, office, you'll see all those books on the shelf. But you really, if you really want to know what they've been reading, look at the seams more closely. You'll find some of those are quite pristine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They never get cracked open. If you're feeling uh, intimidated, uh, well, 
don't buy into the illusion. <laughs> well, I think the very kind of worn out dog-eared book is I hope hopefully a a good visual metaphor for our approach to the pod so far. Which okay, is, yeah, you know, really, really taking it to pieces, like yeah, covering it in yeah. great detail. Yeah, I hope I and I I think um, there's been a a fair amount of positive feedback. Um, occasionally, we'll get people who want us to go faster, but uh, I, I think. Um, Everyone recognizes that it's worth the effort, and uh, we've we've noticed a, a steady uptick in, in views uh, and, and a constant stream of positive comments. Um, you know, which for which we're grateful. Yeah, um, yeah, really, really grateful to have. Honestly, like any uh, any like interaction with the material is is just great. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sometimes you just want to know you're not like howling into the void yeah yeah you know especially because this is sort of a even though this is one of the most um beloved uh chinese novels it's still you know from a a western kind of perspective it's a relatively niche uh and so it's nice to it's like if you almost have to create your own community um and if that means going online well so be it you know uh so it's it feels like we were like maybe uh creating a little uh, Chinese literature or, or, or becoming a part of the, like a kind of a, a global Chinese literature, uh, like uh, yeah. community, yeah. Uh, which is, which is, uh, I think promising. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, exciting. Good to, it's good to be, be a part of that community. Definitely. Um, all right. Well, um, any final, any final thoughts on the chapter before we close? I think I've said my piece. <laughs> yeah, same, same. I think so. Um, um, so next uh, time we'll be we'll be picking up chapter twenty-seven, volume two of uh, of the Hooks translation, uh, and chapter twenty-seven is "Beauty Perspiring Sports with Butterflies by the Raindrop Pavilion," and "Beauty Suspiring Weeps for Fallen Blossoms by the Flower's Grave." Okay, thanks everyone for listening. This has been another installation of Rereading the Stone. Uh, if you want to uh, contact us, please do. Uh, check us out on Twitter at Rereading Stone. Uh, we also have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash Rereading the Stone. Uh, so until next time, uh, be safe and bye-bye.